Welcome to the Truth Simply Put, the teaching broadcast vehicle of the Basilea Commission. On today's teaching by Alexander Victor, God's Word, rightly divided in the light of Christ, who is the central theme of the entire scriptures, will come with simplicity, precision, clarity, and power to instruct, admonish, edify, and build you up into the full measure of the stature of Christ. Now, let's dive straight in. So I'm going to go straight into the word. And there's a couple of thoughts I'd like to share with us today, if it's okay. And I've titled this thought, Righteousness Consciousness. Okay? Righteousness Consciousness. Righteousness Consciousness. Righteousness Consciousness. Are you ready? It will interest you to note that in all of God's dealings with man, God has never used innocence as a tool for justifying the believer. So the opposite of sin is not innocence. The opposite of sin is not, I have never done anything wrong. God has never used, I have never done anything wrong. As a parameter to make anybody righteous. Because not doing anything wrong in itself is doing. Not doing anything wrong is pretty much self-righteousness. It means you have done everything right by your own estimation. And if you did, then you don't require a savior. If you don't require a savior, then you make a mockery of what God did in Christ from the foundation of the world. So that ain't going to happen. That instantly calls into focus morality. Or moral uprightness. Let's put it that way. As something that could never be a parameter for God's dealings with man. I've said before and I say it again. That it is in the fall of man that we are considering morality. Just as it is in the fall of man that we are wearing clothes. It's one of the things I'm most upset about till today. That I'm a son of God and I still have to wear clothes. No, because we as human beings, we have not gotten back to the fullness of where we lost. You know why you're wearing clothes? Morality. And as a stark reminder of how far humanity is from divinity. The fact that you have to cover yourself so that somebody else doesn't think stupid thoughts doesn't really matter. Because people are still perverse and stupid. But the fact that you have to do that just shows how much more we need to bridge the gap between our humanity or our falling nature and divinity or our real nature. The same thing applies to morality. Don't do this. Don't do that. Why are we there? Because man failed. Because man in God's image did not need do, do not. Thou shalt, thou shalt not. Does that make sense? So morality is an outflow or a byproduct, if you may, of the fall of man. And God is, God is never using morality as a tool. You know, it, it, the, the story of Job is very interesting. It starts in chapter 1 where it is God, as it were, that is recommending Job to Satan. That's how it appears. Have you by any chance in your gallivanting met my servant Job, nice guy. 
fine guy, morally upright guy. And then Satan was like, does he fear you for nothing? Remove the hedge around him and see. And God is like, okay, do what you want to do. Just don't kill him. And, and Satan starts to process Job. And all the nonsense in the spirit of Job starts to come out. But morally, Job was blameless. Does that make sense? By today's parlance, he never drank, never smoked, never kept women, never had extramarital affairs. You know, do you know what I mean? Never watched anything, never used the crossword in his life. Never did any of that. And you'd have thought that was all there was to Job until he began to be tried. And then you find out that he had self-righteousness or a confidence in his own righteousness. When God deals with the same problem, he brings you into righteousness. But you don't just get to righteousness. What actually deals with sin brings you into justification. First, justification. It is from justification that righteousness is imputed to you. And even the imputation of righteousness, as it were, is not your righteousness. The righteousness of God doesn't become yours at any point. It doesn't. Because if the day becomes yours, you'll spoil it. The day God leaves it in your hand, you'll spoil it. So upon careful study, you'll understand that you never ever collect and keep God's righteousness. What you are gifted really, what you are imputed, is a consciousness of his righteousness. If you remember the Christ conscious believer, we define being conscious of as being aware of something. Right? So what you receive is an awareness of his righteousness. So hear how Paul puts it in 2 Corinthians 5. For he made him who knew no sin to become sin. Verse 21, right? That you might become what? Who's righteousness? 1 Corinthians 1.30. Somebody say righteousness consciousness. 1 Corinthians 1.30. But of him you are in Christ Jesus who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness. So Christ did not give you righteousness. Vitally speaking. Christ became for you righteousness. Became for you righteousness. So Christ became for you all God demands of you. So God doesn't demand it of you because it's been fulfilled in him who is it for you. So when God wants to reckon with your righteousness, he reckons you in Christ Jesus. Because in Christ, God could have given you righteousness. But can I promise you, you would have spoiled it. Like you spoiled the garden. Like you spoiled marriage. Like you spoiled sex. Like you spoiled money. Like you spoiled creation. Everything man in his human nature has touched has been perverted. And God loves you too much to give you righteousness you can't spoil. So really, he didn't give you righteousness, sir. What he imputed to you is a consciousness of his righteousness. 
Now, if you don't understand this, you will keep trying to be righteous and you will fail. I'm not even talking self-righteousness. I'm talking you that knows what the cross did for you. <laughs> you that knows I am the righteousness of God in Christ. Who walk, go away and try to work out God's righteousness and you fail. When what you should exhibit is the consciousness of God's righteousness in Christ Jesus. Are you following me now? So we heard Havila say earlier on that sin was the root cause of man's problem. God has only had one problem with man. Sin. Answer to deal with sin. Atonement. What atonement brings you into, like I said, when we did the um, He Swapped It series, when we started, atonement, I broke it down into three words as at one meant. Yeah. Atonement is essentially the reconciliation process by which your sins are forgiven, but your sins were not excused. It wasn't the one, I, I know you broke it, just, just go, don't do it again, yeah? You'll do it again. How many of you have ever said, I'm sorry, I will never do it again? Not just to God, even to God or to people that you love, your lovers, your family, friends, parents, put your hands down. How many of you have gone right on ahead and done it again? Put your hands down. How many of you, after doing it again, came back and said, I really will not do it again? Put your hands down. How many of you left there and went right on and did it again? I promise I will never do it again. You know why you keep doing it again? Because you are incapable of keeping that promise. You don't have what it takes to generate the ability to live right. So just give up already. Because it will be a vicious circle that will never stop. You keep making all those promises. Oh, how many, I, I, I mean, I don't know about you, but I know I made at least 50 to 60 covenants with God. And in those covenants, I can, I'm sure I can say in 8 out of 10, I added the clause, if I break this thing, kill me. If I go back to this thing, Lord, as I'm even thinking about it, strike me dead. Is anybody else prayed that prayer? I make a covenant with you today. If God is a covenant keeping God, you are a covenant breaking human. There's no human being that can say they've kept their end of the bargain. Not one. Not one human being that can say they've kept their end of the bargain. You know, most, most self-righteous people are people that sin differently. Yours is just not in the front page. And in order to deflect yours from the front page, you become loud on those whose own is on the front page. Because the more we talk about this person's own, the more we distract everybody from my own. These are the more dangerous sinners. More dangerous sinners. You just sin differently. Somebody's caught with uh, trying to steal a chicken or a fowl or a car battery and he's beaten and mobbed and Sometimes even burns to death. You raped somebody in your compound and you are there adding petrol to burn somebody to death for stealing a chicken. 
You should be castrated alive first. Then skinned. Then demembered finger by finger. While leaving your heart beating so you can feel every inch of the pain. We are so caught up in a world of self-righteousness that it's essentially just sitting differently. Are you here? Sin is that force that forces, I said this during the He Swapped It series, sin is that force that desires to be as intimate with you as you are with God. That thing that desires to be as intimate with you as you are with God or as you are designed to be with God. Look at Genesis chapter 4. Are you here this afternoon? Yes, sir. So the next time you say, I am righteous, you will understand what that means. Genesis 4, 7. Cain had just messed up, right? And God was like, let's go from verse 6. And God, the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? And why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? If you do not do well, sin lies at the door and its desire is for you. And this, this, this connotes sexual desire or intimate desire. So sin's desire, sin has no other agenda than to be intimate with you. That's why sin is whatever contends, like you heard earlier, for the place of God in your life. Even if that thing is good. So be careful to define sin as what is bad. Sin is anything that contends with God for you. That includes anyone. Any place at any time. Now stretch your imagination. Anything that contends with God's place in your life. Anything that takes his place can be saved. Whatever you want to call it. Even if the name is worship, or prayer, or studying the word, or going to church. So if you love church so much that God is looking for time with you, and you have no time with God because you're so busy with church. You know what church has become to you then? Sin. At the same time as it is said, do not forsake the gathering together. Of the saints. You have so gathered together. That you have forgotten that it is unto the Lord. That the gathering of his people is. I've said all the time for many years now. A lot of Christians. The house of the Lord. And don't come to the Lord of the house. It matters not what you call it. You came to the gathering of the saints. You came to the house of the Lord. You came to the house of the Lord to do what? To find who? To meet who? You get into a house, you don't care who owns it. You sit at a dining table and you just eat. Do you do that? You just arrive, like you just arrived at my house now. Even my house is, some of you can say, yeah, I can do that. You know, you just arrive at a house, you're invited or not. You just, and you go straight to the kitchen, go to the fridge. And don't care who owns it or what his ideals are. Not, you just help yourself. And you leave. And you know you, if you give you such a house, you'll go and do it. You will go there for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And not care who owns it. Everybody else is going. And you eat and go away. 
The only time you will make reference or have recourse to the owner of the house is if you need something that is not immediately available when you get there. They ask, Abena, who get this house? So you can be caught up in service and service becomes your Achilles heel. Service becomes your distraction. So don't categorize sin exclusively as what is bad. First of all, who determined who determined what is bad? Let's even start from there. Who, who determined what is bad? A bad man. It was fallen man that began to determine what is good and bad. So even the standard of bad is questionable. And the standard of good is questionable. Because they are both calling, coming from a fallen man. <laughs> Can you handle this? It is a fallen man telling you what is good. It's a fallen man telling you what is bad. You are in trouble if that's your standard. Being able to know what is good and bad. God did not design us in his image to be dealing with good and evil. When you go back, study Genesis 3. It was when man ate of the tree that he was told not to eat. That he came into the depravity called good and evil. Good and evil is such a distraction from sonship. <laughs> it is a sad thing for sons of God to be caught in the quandary of this is right, this is wrong, this is wrong, this is right. By whose standard? Because God did not design you to be caught up in that. He designed you to be superior to that. To be oblivious to anything except the standard of God. You're not supposed to know anything else. You're not supposed to be caught up in the conversation of, this is not proper. Is this right? Is this not right? That's a very low place to be. You're supposed to be so caught up in God that he's all you see. He's all you think. He's all you speak. He's all you behave. If you would do business, you would do business exactly as he would do it. <laughs> Are you here this afternoon? Genesis 3. I'll just show it to you. Just, just thoughts I'm sharing. Genesis 3.16. To the woman he said, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband. Do you see that? Run that parallel with what you saw now in Genesis 4-7. Sin desires to have you. Make sense? So anything that is a strong, overwhelming, driving force in your life at the expense of God is sin. Even if that sin is called your husband. Or called your wife. Anything that so much as contends for God's place in your life is sin. Isn't that why the serpent comes in the beginning of chapter 3 of Genesis and says, Did God say you should not eat any fruit of the garden? Any. He was there when God spoke. He just wanted to hear stuff. And that's why sometimes, let me me leave that. You know when Paul tells Timothy to contend earnestly for the prophecies that have been spoken over him, or by them, by those prophecies, wage good warfare. 
Because you, you don't be excited when you say, oh yeah, the Lord is speaking over you and you are great. Other people are hearing. Including Diabolon. You are not the only one that was hearing when a prophecy of good things was coming over you. Because the, the serpent was, he had to have been around. Probably on the tree just perching. I say, no, this tree, right? Did you know it's this tree? So did God say, did you know it's anything? And then he starts. Starts to fight for place in your life. Everything in us that doesn't give God glory is sin. And therefore atonement was the only remedy. The soul that sinneth shall die. I've always heard that as a threat to death. You know, when you call it death, it doesn't carry any weight. It's a death. So that sinner shall die. That same person that's quoting it is sin. Punishment by death is the express penalty for sin. The soul that sins shall die. It is true till today. The soul that sins shall die. But you see, all of the sin of all of the world, for which all of the world should die, was taken on one person who died. So in him, all died. Romans 5 makes it clear. So the soul that sinneth, it shall die, has been fulfilled in Christ. So Christ is the reason I'm not dead. Because um, I died. And dead men don't die. So you can't come and threaten me with death. Threaten me with hell. I was, I was browsing through Facebook the other day. You know sometimes you watch a video and then in that watch part of Facebook, another video just loads. So he's loaded up and he was saying something along the lines of, if sin takes a believer to hell, the believer will turn hell to heaven. Because what it means is that God followed him to hell. <laughs> I mean, I didn't want to go into the nitty gritty of the doctrine of hell and all of that, you know. Because even unbelievers are not going to hell. It's not hell they're going. What is hell? Explain to me what is hell. What does it mean? Where did you get your scriptural backing for that hell from? Explain to me what is eternal damnation and show me where you got it from. That somebody will be burning in hell for eternity. Show me one place in your Bible. You can't prove it. So don't even get me started on the theological conversation of hell and your precious heaven you want to make. I'm not going anywhere. So people are shocked to their bones. They're like, yay. Where are you going? You want to make heaven? You want to make heaven? Heaven is trying to make earth. You are trying to make heaven. Recently I heard a G.O. Say, say something along the lines of that God showed him. That God showed him that there's heavy construction work going on in heaven. So he asked God, what is this construction? And God said to him that they are expanding his mansion in heaven. So that, so that when his sons and daughters in the earth come to heaven, there can be enough space for them to visit him. 
First of all, he throws up a reactionary God. A God that did not understand the scope of mansion that that particular person would need. So God already now built a mansion for you. Then God is like, hey, you know go do all. He, he has gotten more sons and daughters than I thought he would get. So now let me now expand his house. That God is already a problem. And then that the heaven that you're looking to go is currently under construction. Means that Jesus has not come because your apartment is not complete. Even Julius Berger doesn't take that long. And then three, your own God has somehow showed you from somewhere other than Genesis to Revelation that you will have mansion. So when Revelation 21, 1. I don't like mentioning things and leaving them. Revelation 21, 1. Now I saw and they knew for the So now we are building you mansion in that heaven that has passed away. And this news, Jerusalem, verse 2, comes out of heaven from God. So when, if God lives in heaven, where is he when heaven is passing and a new heaven is coming? If by this time, after the 1,000 year reign, we are with, in heaven, where is our mansion going to be? Heaven, heaven, heaven. Put verse 2 and 3 up. I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God as a bride, as a bride adorned for her husband. See verse 3, please be instructed. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the of God is not the tabernacle of men, is with God. So you see, the ultimate has never been you going up to live with God. It's always been God coming to live with you. The tabernacle of God is with men, keep going, and he will dwell with them and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. Stay in verse 3. Give us a TPT. And I had a thunderous voice from the throne saying, look, God's tabernacle is with human beings. And from now on, he, God, will tabernacle with them. As their God. Now God is home with them. So you're trying to go to heaven and do what there? I've taught this in this house before when Jesus says, In my father's house, there are many mansions. Have you used your common sense to think? How can a house have mansions? It's not mansions that have houses. In my father's house, there are many mansions. 
Mansions in a house? And then I asked the next question. When Jesus made that statement, where was he going? No, he was not going to heaven. If Jesus made that statement after he had resurrected, we could have assumed he was referring to a different place. But Jesus made that statement on his way to the cross. I go to prepare a place for you who were not a people beloved. That's to become the people of God. That's the place he went to prepare. Access and adoption as the, as the beloved. That's the place he went to prepare. In which house? The father's house. Who is the father's house? Christ. Christ is the house of God. And at the point he was speaking, he was the only one. And he needed to go and bring many sons. Yes, sir. My father's house had many mansions. I have a mansion there. <laughs> and you want to make heaven. Heaven is making earth. So our sins are atoned for in what Jesus did. He took away our sin. That's what John screamed when he saw him in John 1, 29. Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the church. The sins of those who believe. The sin of those who answer the altar call. And you don't like to hear stuff like this. But God has no sin problem with the world. He doesn't. He doesn't. The sin of the world is forgiven. The whole world is forgiven. The whole world are not sons of God. Because you don't come into sonship by forgiveness of sin. <laughs> but the world's sin is forgiven. Sonship, however, is reserved for those who receive and believe. John 1.12. John 1.11, he came to his own. His own received him not. Verse 12, as many as received him, to them gave he power. Exousia translated authority to become or right to become sons of God. So the whole world is forgiven of their sin, but the whole world doesn't have the right to sonship. That's reserved for those that. So our sins were taken away, washed away because somebody paid the price for them. Our sin was not excused. Make sense? And that process is called justification. Hmm? justification justification is as a result of atonement because justification actually means to be put on trial and found guiltless of the crime you were accused of and therefore to be discharged and acquitted that's what it means make sense you're put on trial and because somebody has took all that you were deserving of you, you cannot be punished for what somebody else has been punished for. Does that make sense? So you're set free because somebody else was killed in your place. Because without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. Make sense? So justification, justified, as I've said in this teaching earlier on, is justified 
never done anything wrong. Just as if I had never done that. That's what it means to be justified. To be put on trial by a legal person and found guiltless of the crime. And therefore, um, for, me, for instance, many years ago, a drug baron, probably the most successful drug baron in history, had a ton of cases against him in the court, the Supreme Court. And he did everything, but there was, a, there was about the only part that could not be bought with money, the judiciary. The judges were very stubborn. A few of them got bombed in their cars. A few of them were burnt in their houses. Quite a bunch of them were killed, and they refused to budge. And this guy got a brilliant idea. I will burn down the Supreme Court with all my case files inside. Let me see how they will prosecute me. So the guy carried it out. Burnt down the Supreme Court just to bury his cases. The idea is that you cannot legally prosecute him. You don't have the evidence against him. You're going to have to let him go. So in, that, in this court and the enemy is trying to argue and he's telling the court of heaven and telling God, fix your eyes on the screen. I was there last week when he did that thing wrong. It was me that inspired him to do it wrong. I literally supervised him doing it wrong. If it were not so, I would have told you. So Jesus, God the Father, keep your eyes on the screen. That record of what I told you, I don't know the other one so, but this one that I sponsored, I can't, it's coming up. So heaven is waiting. And Satan is like, just wait. It's just network that's slow. It will come up. And eventually your file rings and it's blank. And there's nothing. And Satan is like, no, no, no. no, no just, just wait. It will come. And you know when somebody is so confident because he was there and he's waiting and, and there's nothing. Now he cannot prosecute in the absence of evidence. And God is like, if you show me one thing wrong about precious right now, she's dead. Satan is like, just one thing. And God is like, just one thing. Just one. If I give me a thought, give me a thought in the heart of precious, she's dead. And Jesus is sat there just smiling, sheepishly. Because what Satan is waiting for that he's convinced about? Jesus had paid. Why do you think we sing confidently? The Father has no record of my sins. There's no record. Because all of it was laid on Jesus. Satan didn't calculate that one properly. Very stupid idiot. He didn't calculate. Because you know what scripture says? If the princes of this world had known. They would have left Jesus dead jelly, quietly. Because Jesus would have just done his thing and gone. And remains the only son of God. But you killed him and ended up duplicating him. You can't even think of killing all of us that came about. Because now you are dead. 
Because Jesus destroyed him who has the power of sin and death. So he can be alive in the world, but in my territory he's dead. Satan is not a factor in my life. It's not a factor in my life. Because he doesn't have power over me. He doesn't. He's been spoiled. So we are justified. Are you here? Because of the atonement, because of what Jesus did, because of the price he paid, we are justified. We have received justification by faith. Right? Romans 5.1. Put it up for me, please. Thank you. Romans 5.1. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have been justified by faith. This justification was made possible by the righteousness of Jesus. Our justification was made perfect by his righteousness. Because somebody who was guilty could not have been accepted as a perfect sacrifice for somebody who is guilty. Does that make sense? It had to be somebody blameless. Just like in the old covenant, if you read Leviticus 16, you'll find that it had to be a blameless goat or lamb. And two goats were actually used in Leviticus 16. On one goat, after this, after the bull that is killed for the priest, on one goat, the high priest will confess, lay hands, and confess all the sins of Israel. Imagine the goat. By the time the goat is going, the goat already has headache, migraine, you know, diarrhea, HIV, hepatitis, tuberculosis, high blood pressure, hypertension. Because imagine a small goat. And then we confess the sin of six million people. And what we're telling God is that all the sins we're confessing now is this goat that did it. That's atonement. That's atonement. So, this is the goat that is going to carry all the consequence and all the penalty for our sin for one year. If anybody killed anybody, it was this goat. If anybody stole anything from anybody, it was this goat. And the goat stays there not having a say in the matter. And we load the sin of all of Israel onto the goat and then release the goat into the wilderness. The wilderness signifies death, lifelessness. Does that make sense? So out into the wilderness, the goat goes. Then we get another goat, also pure. No spot, no blemish. And then kill that goat and spill its blood as atonement. So he sees two goats. One for the sin, one for the peace. Does that make sense? So that's why we said Christ is our two-in-one, one-time sacrifice. He was both the scapegoat and the sacrificial goat. Isaiah 53, 7, I believe. Put it up six or seven. And the Lord has laid upon him the iniquities of us all. Isaiah 53, 6. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Do you see that? The iniquity of us all. And I said over and over... You have to be a righteous lamb. 
that earned our justification. Are you there? It is because he is righteous that we were justified. Because if that lamb was or had a blemish or spot or wrinkle, we'll be in trouble. Christ would have died and will still not be saved. Because imagine if you killed a goat that had a blemish before realizing it had a blemish. You have killed the goat, but the goat hasn't done his job. So it was by his righteousness that we're justified. Are you here? Can I proceed? His righteousness. His righteousness. We're talking about righteousness consciousness, remember? It's a nice tongue twister, actually. Righteousness consciousness. I'm sort of getting into the meat of my thought now. It was by his righteousness that you are justified. Hmm? But justification by itself does not make you like Christ. If it was just by justification that your sins are forgiven does not make you like Christ. Because Christ's sins were not forgiven. Christ's sins were not forgiven because he never had any sin. For God made him who knew no sin to become sin. If justification makes you like Christ, it will mean that Christ was justified. Was Christ justified? Did Christ ever stand trial for the sins of Christ? Because Christ had no sin. He doesn't need justification. You needed justification. You got justification from his righteousness. The fact that you're justified doesn't make you like Christ. Because justification just makes you escape the punishment for your sin. Somebody else takes it. Does that make sense? You are still an ex-convict. A few months ago, I shared the story about a judge who fell in love. And because he fell in love, he couldn't bear to bring upon the guilty or the accused the punishment that the person deserves. So he decides, he decides to, to give himself as a sacrifice. Right? This judge, however, has the key to life and death. He says he has the power to lay down his life. And he has the power to take it up again. So he died for your trespasses. But that's not the end of the story. He then rose up for your justification. Romans 4.25. Put it up. Who was... Delivered up because of, give us a TPT. This is one of only two times in the Bible that the word justification actually appears. That story for another day. The word justifies appears a number of times, about 19 times or so. The word justification appears just twice. Jesus was handed over to be crucified for the forgiveness of our sins. Right? And was raised back to life to prove. See two different things? The message. I've not seen it in the message before, but let's look at it. The sacrifice Jesus made us fit for God. Set us right with God. NLT. He was handed over to die because of our sins. And he was raised to life to make us right with God. Right? 
Justification. Righteousness. Stay with me, guys. Don't blink. Are you here? Don't blink. You know, most times we confuse the two. Justification and righteousness. They are similar in the Greek. They are two very distinct and different concepts. Justification, I repeat, is the legal act of trying you and there's nothing against you. And therefore setting you free. And saying you are discharged and acquitted. There's nothing against you. But you walk out from the courtroom. You did what you were accused of. So you're not innocent. You walked in a murderer. You walked out free because somebody else had been penalized for the murder you committed. But you still have the stigma of a, of a criminal on your head. You still do. You're still without a home. You're still an orphan. You're still homeless. You're still lost. Your, your slate is wiped clean. But you do it again. Because it's your nature. What I have paid for, you will do again. It's your, you will kill again. It's your nature. The only thing is to change your nature. To guarantee you don't do it again. And replace your nature. Justification is not necessarily a change. It is an acquittal from what you did wrong because somebody else has paid. Are you here? And because it is your nature, we are forgiving you. Haven't you seen guys that are released on parole from prison and go straight back to the life that they were living before they went to jail. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And they'll tell you, this is all the life I know to live. It's all about the streets. And they go straight back. And if you watch certain movies, the, the prison warden will tell you, see you soon. Because they know you're coming straight back. <laughs> and they'll keep your cell and bed warm for you. Because you'll come back. So you can be released and go straight back. You know what? I'll just do something and go straight back. Steal a car and go straight back. You know, beat somebody up and go straight back. You can be acquitted of something and be found doing the same thing. Are you hearing me? Hmm. Justification, I said, is mean you've been acquitted of a charge, judged acceptable, released from the punishment that you deserve, set free from condemnation, right? That's what it means to be justified. And I said Christ was never justified. Because you mean that Christ was set free from condemnation. Which means he had to have been condemned. Talk to me what abiding house. Or he was released from punishment he deserved. Which means he deserved punishment. He didn't. I mean just his appearance on the scene from, from being tempted of the devil 40 days. What did God say? The voice from heaven. This is my beloved son in whom? So he was blameless. He was never under condemnation. So for us to become like him, it would take more than justification. Because all justification does is releases a condemned criminal from condemnation. Are you here with me? Jesus knew no sin. He has always been righteous. Jesus Christ the just. He has always been righteous. There has never been a time that Jesus was not righteous. Does that make sense? Yes, 
Jesus did not become righteous. He became sin. He has always been righteous who became sin for you. Are you here now? Okay. So he came. He became sin. He became my sin. became your sin. He received justification for us. Because he was us dying with him and in him when he died. Right? Now proceed. Because we have received justification. That is declared, discharged, and acquitted. His is now imputed to us. Because if we don't change your nature, you go back to this thing. So now that we have set you free and taken the penalty for your sin... To guarantee that you don't go back to the place where I would need to save you again. And I will need to die to pay for your sin again. The best I can do is ensure that you don't know how to find your way back to sin. Because if I leave you, you will go straight back to sin. And I I cannot die twice for you. So all I can do now that I've saved you and paid for your sin is to ensure that you and sin are miles apart. And the only way I can do that is to change your nature such that you're not conscious of who you used to be. Because it is sin consciousness that makes you sin. Every time you sinned, Look up and look at me. You were trying not to see. Who are the honest people in this room? You did all your calculations that you might not see. And you sinned. Because you were trying not to see. What is that? Sin consciousness. A nature that is intrinsic to you. It's part of your DNA. You cannot but sin. And you are justified. I mean, we try to pick a kid out of the street many times. The kid will not be picked. We picked him out of the street. We couldn't pick the street out of the kid. We did everything for this particular kid. The former governor's wife picked him and took him to her house. Gave him shelter in her house. Put him in a home. A rehabilitation center wherever. In Calabar South. And put him in school. The boy still manifested the street. In the governor's house. In this city. Business for you. I'm sorry. Okay now let's start a business for you. Gave him. Ingredients and money. To start a business. Him and the ingredients and the money vanished. He came back alone. No ingredients, no money, no business. You're asking profit. I say no business. It's not when you have a business that you can think about profit. (laughs) Gave him clothes. Gave him stuff. Nothing. Okay, I'm traveling. I'm going to move to Lagos. We gave him money, transport. Go to Lagos. After a few weeks, uncle shows up. (laughs) What happened to Lagos? I came back to do what? Next time I'm going to Lagos, I said, go well. <laughs> it would take me at least five years of not seeing him to be convinced that he has been in Lagos. 
So you can take somebody out of a thing if you don't take the thing out of the person. So imagine how many times Jesus will need to be going to the cross to die for you as you are. Are you following me now? Because all you know to do is sin. You're good at it. It's your nature. Your natural father handed it down to you. You didn't choose it. You can't stop it. You didn't choose it. You can't stop it. How many of you chose to sin? Channel. How many of you have been frustrated in your fight against sin? How many of you have hated something, an addiction, so badly it disgusts even you? And then you did it in the morning. You didn't choose sin. So you can't stop it. 19 ways to live a sin-free life. They are lying to you. If you have been lied to like that, lift your hand up. It worked for you. 29 keys to holy living. And it worked for you. Put your hand up. It frustrated you and almost made you become a pagan. Put your hand up. My own hand is up. Because we keep trying to sell you a radiplos. Any singular medicine that claims to cure everything will kill you. And then it cures everything, sir. And it's not selling for one million. Six hundred naira. And it repairs every kidney, liver, heartbreak, gonorrhea, syphilis, HIV. chlamydia, HIV, hepatitis, tuberculosis, one drink. And you believe it? Who has bewitched you? If you have running stomach, it will stop it. If your stomach is not running, it will start it. If you- have you heard those, those, those things? <laughs> One drink. Is it from the tree of life? <laughs> I mean, there was this scam that was happening not long ago. I hope I don't forget this thought. There was this scam that happened a while ago about a noiseless, petrolless generator. And I saw the thing. 3.5 kVA, 70,000. Instant, see me, you have never duped me in my life and you cannot. Me. No, now. I can see you coming a mile away. 3.5 kVA. Noiseless. Petrolless. It runs on a battery. Once it starts, the power that is generating charges it to continue generating. Who else saw that thing? No, I took my time to investigate it. And I already knew that now this is a lie. Because if it's truly what it says, it is if I buy a gem that I will never need to buy petrol for, that 3.5 kVA should start at 700 Gs. It should start at at least 700 Gs. And honestly, I would consider it. Because man, I know how much I spend on petrol. You don't bring me a fuel-less, noiseless, 
basically generator that runs like inverter. Essentially. I will never have to buy petrol again. Never have to pollute my, my hearing again. 700 Gs, we are still talking business. 70K, 6 AVA, 140 something. Yousef, you deserve to be scammed. You deserve to be scammed. Because see, listen, most times if it's too good to be true, it's too good to be true. So by the time we preach to you and teach to you and give you steps and keys, just know you have been scammed. It doesn't work. 19 keys, 4 Sundays of your right to wealth. You are still poor. Because if what we preach works, at the end of those Sundays, you can't look for one person whose testimony has nothing to do with what you preached. And then get, give the person a microphone. The person will say, inside this month, they got a contract. They've probably been working on that contract for like two years. It just closed inside that month. You know, hijack the testimony as validation of your nonsense prophecy. Then the church will now go, ah, now we no get faith. Oh. Now we get secret sin. Oh. Now we no give enough. We didn't serve enough. We didn't do something enough because the God that you serve only does for you according to what you do for him. No human being can sell you a sin solution. Just like no human being can tell you your purpose. A created thing cannot be the one defining life for another created thing. Only the manufacturer of a product can determine its purpose. Only the manufacturer. The best you can do is tap into the mind of the manufacturer and download his intent for an individual. They realize that none of us has individual purpose. Just like you don't have righteousness, you have no purpose in life. Romans 8.28, you have no purpose in life. Put it up. For we know that all things work together for good to those who love God. To those. Ouch. Sorry. What is my purpose? What is my purpose? What is... Can you shut up? It is his purpose. And your individual Expression yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. of his purpose. What is my expression in the purpose of God for humanity? Not what is my purpose. You have none. And he starts to explain. The manufacturer starts to explain in verse 29. This will help somebody. 29. Romans 8 29. For whom he for knew, he also predestined. So that also tells you that what? You have no destiny. You are praying for God to change. We're very emotional with our faith too. You don't have different destinies. 
He predestined you. Pre, before. Ouch. And what is your destiny? Christ. He predestined you to be conformed to the image of his son. That that son might be the firstborn of many brethren. Simple. The, the purpose of man is Christ. The destiny of man is Christ. On that journey, you can chop life small. But the journey, the destination is Christ. You find individual expressions as you go along. For somebody it might be business, for somebody it might be crypto or Niger coin. <laughs> for somebody it might be makeup and can you see, listen, look at me. It is an insult for a son of God to say, My purpose and destiny is to be a makeup artist. <laughs> My purpose is to do surgeries and correct eyes and hearts. That's beneath you. I so beneath you. My purpose is to help people find expression and that's, that's beneath you. You, you, you are, Paul says, I'm pressing forward for the mark of the prize. Which is the prize? The higher calling in Christ Jesus. Think higher than making money. Think higher than being a social media influencer. Think higher than being the top entrepreneur or digital currency trader in your space. Enjoy all those, but they are nothing more than expressions along your Christ walk. That man became Christ in the earth. That's purpose. That's purpose. That man can say, as I lived in the earth, I became the fullness of the measure of the stature of Christ. And I achieved medical degrees along the way. That's purpose. Does that make sense? Man's purpose is Christ. Man's destiny. Hey, Sean. (laughs) It's Christ. Along that journey, enjoy what life throws at you. Find what you're good at and make the best of it. But you have no purpose. And no man can define that to you. Just as no man can tell you how to overcome sin. Cannot tell you how. Even a man that has overcome sin. Cannot tell you how. Because the man that has overcome sin. Did not overcome it by himself. If he has indeed overcome it. Are you here? (laughs) So you are justified but you have a problem. Your problem is that your nature will lead you straight back to what you have been justified from. Unless we change that nature. And the only nature by which you will never live within the remit of sin. Within the remit of consciousness of right and wrong. Is the nature of God called righteousness. So once you are justified to preserve your justification righteousness is imputed to you. Does that make sense? To preserve your, in other words, so that you never have to show up in court again.
Do you understand what I'm saying? See, I, I, I have paid the price for you. I've canceled your debt. All the handwriting of ordinances against you has been blotted away. I don't want to see you in my court again. If we say to you, go and say no more. You'll say some more. You, you will, you, it's not you. It's you. You will sin. Except we kill your knowledge of sin. So you see, the church is content to be micromanaging sin. To be regulating sin. To be compartmentalizing sin. Okay, this one, okay, it's okay, you can still sing. This one, you are suspended. This is major. This other sin, leave our church. Everybody, don't talk to him again. This other sin, okay, it's all right, no problem. You know you are my protocol officer, so you are covered by my grace. In many churches, protocol officers are some of the nastiest people in church. I'm all bearers of pastor. We are close to pastor. Kai. But somehow pastor doesn't see. Because they are serving pastor. Carry pastor's leg. Carry pastor's wristwatch. Carry pastor's Bible. Drive pastor's car. So they are, pastor cannot say anything wrong in them. They are the biggest bullies in church. Pastor's peers. And there's some things I never want to be. Ever. You can't be serving me and not be reflecting me. You can't do that. And people come to you and they encounter you and the vibe they get off of you is different from the vibe they would have gotten if they met me. Ah, then you are a robber. You're a robber. And so when micromanaging sin, defining sin, what is sin? How do you know you're walking in sin? Who sent you? Because hear me carefully. I've said this over and over. Sin is not the message. Yes, there is no sinner that does not know he's a sinner. Yes, sir. No sinner needs you to tell him, sir. And most of your gods are just very scary. Your God is one chance. If you enter, if you mess up, he'll kill you. But as you have been outside messing up, he's merciful to you. But this is our God. You can mess up all you want outside. It's okay. You don't belong to him. He will not kill you. But if you give your life to Christ, come inside church and mess up once, he will kill you. Devourers will follow you. So the sinner knows he's a sinner in need of a savior. But the sinner is like, I'm safer outside. When I chop life and I'm satisfied, I will now give the remaining what I've explained to you, as funny as it sounds, is the reason why majority of unbelievers have refused to accept your Jesus. Because your Jesus is vindictive, unforgiving. He tells you forgive his own. Try it. He will crush you. Mangle you up. But he's telling you to forgive your brother. How dodgy Jesus is that? A dodgy God is that. He tells you forgive, forgive, seven times seven. Forgive one another. You know, they turn you, slap you on one cheek, no? Turn the other cheek. When they slap you on that cheek, you have two more cheeks. This other cheek. But you have not even reached his cheek. It's crushed you. 
That's why I've said over and over, there's the God of salvation and there's the God of the Christians. They're two different gods. They're two different gods. One is a living true God, the other one is an idol. Bloodthirsty, vindictive idol. I'm telling you the truth. Because he would devour you. He says it's long suffering, but it's not true. Don't be deceived. Doesn't suffer long ago. Short. He's not even short suffering. This God is not suffer. Suffer nothing. Love keeps no record of wrong. And I tell you, how can you love and you keep record? Your God, uncle. Love covers a multitude of sins. How about your God? Because it appears as though I am the better standard for the God. Does that make sense? The God should be serving me. I would treat that God better than he's treating people. I'm a better lover than that God. Or is that the God? Nobody can prefer solution to the sin problem. It has to come from outside us. So he fixed it and imputed his righteousness. That's good news. So now by the righteousness of God, your slate is wiped clean. So this is the story of that judge after setting free this guy and the guy is about to walk out of the courtroom discharged and acquitted. The judge sends after him and says, you know what, I'm going to change your name. I have an apartment in my house for you. I've cloned my bank card with PIN, and it's yours. Yeah. I'm opening a fresh name. I've done a deed poll for you, what you call in Nigeria, a change of name, I've heard of it. Yeah. I've done a deed poll for you, and you will no longer be known as the person that killed someone. Yeah. You are now my son. And you leave the court and move straight into the judge's house. And at, on Sunday, you're at Thanksgiving service, and the judge shows in who had two children, and now he has three. And everybody in church says, um, your lordship, or whatever they call judges here, right? Your lordship, or my lord, or your whatever. It says, ah, who is this third person? And the guy will be like, oh, meet my other son. Accord him all rights and privileges of my two children. But is this not the person that was in court last week when you were passing judgment? And the judge will be like, I said, this is my son. That's righteousness. Courtroom, justification. Adoption, righteousness. Giving you my nature, righteousness. Are you following me now? That's what righteousness does. That's the imputation of God's nature onto you. You know what happens? You wake up the following morning and you realize, I can't play music as loudly as I used to play music. Because I'm a judge's son. You're not trying to earn it. You drive out in your Camaro, you know, your Dodge Camaro, and you meet your friends out and they're like, ah, let's go, let's go and let's do what we used to. And they'll be like, guys, I can't do that no more. 
I can't do that no more. I'm different now. You, you, you don't understand. My father is the judge. He's responsible for enforcing moral standards in this city. I can't be seen rolling around and just doing stuff. Yeah, but a bottle or two won't hurt. I know it won't hurt. But I'm above that now. That's righteousness. So he imputes righteousness to you. And you have his nature. It's something that you became as a believer. Does that make sense? It's crazy, right? Ridiculous. How can I just become a son of God like that? I didn't apply. I I didn't merit it. And this is why a lot of us struggle to act or live righteously. We struggle to live righteously because we are equating, stay with me, we are equating the righteousness of God with how you feel about deserving righteousness. So you look at it, I don't qualify for this. I don't feel I'm deserving of it. I'm not worthy of this. Those are the sounds of somebody who is going to mess up. What about you? Are you here? Somebody who is preparing to mess up. Who begin to look at their own inadequacies. Instead of seeing what God in Christ did. Does that make sense? You don't have to feel like it. Are you, are you with me? Yes, sir. That's righteousness. You become conscious. And this consciousness is not in your adequacies or inadequacies. Yes, Every time you look to yourself, you will fumble. You should write that down. Every time you look to yourself. Every single time. You'll fumble. Every time. Every time. Every time. You'll fumble. Righteousness is not what you feel. Righteousness is a consciousness of what has been given to you. You're given a phone, a brand new phone, an iPhone 12 Pro Max, or a Samsung S21 Ultra. You now go home, open your box, and put it under and cover it because you are not convinced that it was given to you. How is your Samsung? She's doing well. Are you sure everything is okay? Everything is sweet. All is well. You're struggling with this 3K 3SIM phone. From nine years ago. And I will see you on the road. Trying to. Eh, eh, I cannot hear you. I can't. Can, you know those phones that you have to turn outside. To talk. Because if you face the phone to your ear. Nobody will hear anything. You know those ones. You have to turn the phone out. How you know that is now a bad case. Is when you treat it like a radio. Hello can you hear me? And so I was saying that. And so I was saying that you can get me. Eh? Ah, star. I thought you have S21. Where is it? The phone is at home. Me, me, me like deaf. 
walking around with S21. Ah, no magic. For be Martin. How can I even sleep well at night? Knowing that I'm using phone of 800k. First of all, it wasn't you that paid 800k. So the cost of the phone should be of no essence to you. It wasn't you that paid the price. Secondly, the person that gifted you the phone determined you were worthy of it. Excuse me, your estimation of yourself does not matter. It's what he thinks of you that matters. The devil can never come at you based on how you know God sees you. Never. He will only weaponize how little you see yourself in spite of how God sees you. So that's the voice that will come to you and say, you, using S21. Are you even 21? (laughs) You are using S21 and you have mind to use it. You have mind to go outside and bring out 800k to make a phone call. And you'll be like, it's true. Where have I even seen? 800, my schooling from primary school to master's not reach 800k. Who am I? Which school did I go? Let me keep this phone on. Because one day the owner can just wake up and say, you know what? Uh, bring my phone back. Bring me back every time. I, I, see, if you're if, if you in a relationship and you are threatened by anybody to return what they gifted you, you're already dead. Yeah. If, if there's so much as said it, you are, you are finished. You are in the most vindictive, abusive relationship ever. My God advice to you, pack everything you have ever been given. Pressed down, shaking together, running over, return it to his bosom. And tell him you can have it, I'm done with you. Bye. If you are in such a relationship where anybody threatens what they give you on account of your performance, you are dead. Dead. Give me, give me back, give me back my phone. And he'll come to your compound and make a big deal of it. Then come back and say, eh, it was you that should, should not have angered me now. You know I love you and you'll be making me angry. And then you'll be like, oh, he loves me. Mumu. You know, you know, take it back. Because people have made up. They're not fighting again. Ah. We'll make a mess of you. Just wait. It's a prophecy. I promise you, as surely as the sun rises from the east, it shall come to pass. It shall come to pass. Don't, don't tolerate it. Oh. Don't. You must have zero tolerance for abusive relationships. Zero. You are too precious for that nonsense. The guy will tell you, come here. Sit down here. Get up. I wait. Say, he loves me. He loves me. He cannot say why. The sad thing is, some of you ladies, that's the only standard of love you know. So you have settled there. When you meet a sensitive person, you think they are weakly. I know what I'm saying. Meet somebody that respects you and honors you. You think they are weakly. 
Because you're used to somebody hitting on you, treating you as an object, as a, as a possession, as a trophy. You're not something to be conquered and, 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 and passed around like a toy. You are the king's kid. And anybody that can't handle that should walk. You are crying over heartbreak of somebody that left. Who should be the one crying at what he lost? You know who you are. <laughs> so, so, so you are telling me now that if, if the thing had worked, this is the thing you would have married. That's what you are telling me. That this thing is, that worked is the best your God can do. You spend six months in mourning. Oh, he broke my heart. He left me. Is that how little I am? What? So, eh, he just walked. Somebody thought you were worth dying for when you were his enemy. Is there some boy or some girl that will come and determine your worth now? Are you here? So we struggle with righteousness because you feel like, ah, this is too big. What, what if God now just collects his thing back? This is what I, 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 I use the phone anyhow. Now this phone says, it's so new that they have not even produced the screen guard for it. No case for it. Ha! Nigeria, no insurance. No now. To avoid stories. And that's exactly what you guys are doing with your righteousness. So we see you going around struggling with a phone and trying to make work what you should have no business trying to make work. Because you have put your actual gift on the shelf. Somehow you and life have convinced you that you're not worthy of righteousness. So you leave God's own and want to try it your way. And you will always make a mess of it. Always. He gave you his nature so his nature cancels out sin consciousness. You never have to think about sin. Sin shall, it's not Romans 6.14 I think. Sin shall no more have dominion over you for you're not under the law but under grace. So guess what? Grace is mastery over sin. Romans 6.14, yes. Grace is what? Mastery over you. Are you a believer? Yes, sir. Are you a believer? Yes, sir. You are bigger than sin. Yes, sir. I know you sinned this morning. It's because you have not fully settled in the consciousness of your righteousness. That's why you are still sinning. Because the actual fact is you no longer know what it means to sin. Is any believer hearing me today? How do you know how to sin? Still. Where are you still able to sin from? How are you still able to know and be checking what is sin and what isn't? You are still in the trap of good and evil. Is this right? Is this wrong? You need Jesus. Be you transformed by the renewing of your mind that you might prove what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. That's where you start to live it. So all you are called to be conscious of is righteousness. In God's love, and I'll round up here, 
in God's love, the things that you have developed for yourself as your own test of knowing you are righteous, those things will be so tested and you fail and fall flat on your face. Then you realize that um, what you think was what you held there to make you right with God is nonsense. Sometimes you go through stuff in life that will test the very fabric of what you thought you made you feel worthy. Whatever it is. You'll fall flat on your face. Some relationship will collapse after everything you did. You'll pray for something and believe God for something that will not happen. And you know it's something that should happen. It's something that you are sure all the permutations worked in favor of that thing. And it doesn't happen. You'll be faced with a challenge so strong that you know that it's either I can forgive this thing or I die or kill the person. Because you can't really say you love much until your forgiveness level has been stretched. Until you shock yourself with your ability to forgive. Because you know it's easy to say we love when the going is good. And so God will allow life to test you. That the testing of your faith may work patience. So you understand. You know how you go through stuff in life. You don't sit down and doubt. Am I really saved? If I'm saved, why is this happening to me? Somebody sent me a message recently on Facebook. A young man loves God and says, I'm doubting everything I've ever believed. This is happening to me. That is happening to me. The other is happening to me. Please talk to me. Say something to me. I said to him, I said, you're in a good place. You're in a very good place. Celebrate where you are. Because from here, the only way forward is up. So you will be tested so you can be sure. Is my righteousness a feeling? Or is it a consciousness? Because even when you fall flat on your face, what will keep you going is when you inform yourself, no, 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 no. no. I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. This addiction is beneath me. This struggle is beneath me. This vice is beneath me. Sons of God don't behave like this. You are struggling with masturbation. You are crying, Lord, why am I still... You, you will still struggle. Because crying doesn't fix addiction. Remorse doesn't fix it. Cry all you want tonight. is waiting for you. Haven't you been lied to enough? Haven't you gone for deliverance? You came back from what they took you for deliverance and did the same thing? You're not tired of deceiving yourself? Remorse is not a prerequisite for deliverance from addictions and vices. That you feel bad is not good enough. That's all works. That's all works. In fact, Hebrews 6 calls it dead works. Oh God, look, I feel so dirty. You do to gain tomorrow and feel dirtier. Because dirt never stopped a pig from rolling in the mud. You feel terrible. Oh, why am I always angry? Why am I always shouting when I lose it? You will still do it again tomorrow. So contrition is not the way out. Being contrite. Being feeling, oh my God, I'm so... It's not the way out. This is what the Baptist said. That the kingdom 
suffers violence and the violent take it by force. The translations rightly um, translate it and only the violent press in. Take it by force actually means press in to what is yours. He's not crying over your struggle. He's beginning to sit your struggle down and instruct your struggle who you are. Call it by name and speak to it. You can hear. Say, I'm the righteousness of God in Christ. This is not, I'm safe beyond this. I have mastery over this. So for every time it comes, I confront you with my reality in Christ. And you cannot survive here. You cannot. Every day is better because the path of the just is as a light that shines brighter and brighter onto the perfect day. This is the least I will ever be in this addiction. This is the least this urge will ever overcome me. That's the fight of faith that you fight. It's righteous. It's imputed to you. It was gifted to you and nothing you do messes it up. Oh, but if you tell people that they will live anyhow, they will die. Oh God, I thought you loved me. He loves you. I thought Jesus paid the price for me. He paid the price for you. Titus 2.11, put it up. Titus 2.11. Are you getting this? Yes, sir. For the grace of God, watch this carefully, that brings salvation has appeared to all men, command, that's not the end of that sentence. Appear to all men, doing what? Teaching us. Doing what? Teaching us. So when grace appears, what does grace do? Teaching What does it teach us? What does grace teach you? Deny ungodly lust. Not perpetuate ungodly lust. Grace doesn't tell you ungodly lust is okay. Verse 12 in TPT. The same grace teaches us how to live each day as we turn our backs on ungodliness and indulgent lifestyles. And it equips us to live self-controlled, upright, godly lives in this present age. That's grace. If you received grace and you're living anyhow, you are in sin. You're not saved. You're not saved. Because if you encounter the grace of God, it teaches you to flee ungodliness. We, can, we don't have conversations of, oh, how can you be, how, how can you be a son of God and be living in sin? No, you cannot. You are either a son of God or you're a sinner. You can't successfully be both. The grace of God teaches us to flee ungodliness. So if you were ungodly in a particular conduct, the grace of God you receive teaches you to rise above it. Yes, sir. Yes. That's why people make the mistake of saying you must balance the gospel. The gospel is balanced. Is it you that will balance it? Grace itself is teaching. What balance are you talking about? So Paul said we are not of them that handle the word of God, the word of grace deceitfully. You must be careful that you're not handling the word of God deceitfully. Thinking, oh, this licenses me. You have not received the grace of God. Do, where I, do what I like. Sleep where I want. How I want. With who I want. You have not received the grace of God. Yes, sir. You have received 
in your estimation, license to do stupidity, it will kill you. Sometimes there's collateral damage in the body of Christ from the indecencies of a few. But the righteousness of God is his nature imputed. You get up and you start to think, you know, my father is the judge. I live soberly. My father is the judge. I live godly. Because I don't want to be the one that puts my father's name to shame. Does that make sense? I don't want to be the one that puts my father's name to shame. Why? My father's a judge. I have a testimony to uphold. You can't be the loudest on your street. You can't be the lousiest on your compound. Everybody knows that one. She's very loud. Her music. We're making noise. That's not the spirit of Christ. That's not. Get conscious of his righteousness. Each day you step out is a cloak you wear. That consciousness. I am the righteousness of God. It's, 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 it's different from saying I am righteous. Do you understand? If you say I'm righteous, make sure that when you say you are righteous, you are, you are saying I am conscious of his righteousness. Because if you say I am righteous, life will deal with you and make a mess of you because your righteousness is nothing. So make sure when you say I am righteous, you are saying I am conscious of his righteousness that I'm walking in. That's why that series, the Christ conscious believer is very crucial for you. Every time you wake up, what guides your day-to-day activities is your consciousness of God's righteousness. So that you are careful to be an ambassador of his righteousness. Does that make sense? You are careful to be an ambassador of his righteousness. God gives you righteousness and he clothes you with it. And every day you wake up, you are conscious of it. Like this is who I am. You're in the taxi, you want to react a certain way, you remember, nah, this is who I am. Who I am will not react like that. And if you did, quickly backtrack. Apologize. It's a very small world. You'd be amazed. Very small world. Backtrack, apologize. You never know. You never know. You tell them that was, that was out of character for me. Does that make sense? You chatted somebody up on Facebook and you said all kinds of derogatory stuff and you're hearing me now. Send that person a message. I said, I know, you know how you say some silly things. You want to do this, you want to do that. Or you send a WhatsApp and you realize that was beneath you. Send the person a message. Said, I apologize for that conversation we had the other day. I realized it was inappropriate of me to have told that line and I apologize. That's you. Being an ambassador of his righteousness. Because tomorrow when somebody meets you and sees you and that voice wants to come up, the voice of conviction will let them know, but he apologized. But he found, it wasn't you that rebuked him into sense. Or rebuked her into sense. It was you remembering, no, this is beneath me as son of God. I shouldn't have talked this way. You go to a, a fellow brother or sister over whom you discussed another person. You go back to them and say, you know what, we discussed uh, Porsche that day. We shouldn't have. 
Source of God don't work in malice and gossip and strife. I don't know if you're okay with that, but I wasn't. And here's me telling you, I apologize, and you'll never find me there again. There are places you go and it only brings out the worst in you. Stop going there. Stop. It's not by force. Because you are conscious of his righteousness. Not you trying to be righteous. I repeat, you will fail. For he made him who knew no sin. 2 Corinthians 5.21 To become sin. So give up on sin, right, on sin consciousness. Give up on trying in your own power to please God. Just ride in his ability. Ride on his ability. Die already. Really start to enjoy the righteousness of God when we die. Just die to self. Die to morality. Die to the law. Because as long as you are awake to the law, to do and don't, you will constantly be found on the don't side. Romans 7 and 4. Have you gotten this? Romans 7 4. Therefore, my brethren, you have also become dead to the law through the body of Christ. I love this verse. TPT. So, my dear brothers and sisters, the simple principle applies to your relationship with God. For you died to your first husband, the law, by being co-crucified with the body of the Messiah. So, you are now free to marry another. Who is the other? The one who was raised from the dead so that you may now bear spiritual fruit for God. Beautiful. The message. Bear spiritual fruit for God. So my friends, this is something like what has taken place with you. When Christ died, he took that entire rule-dominated way of life down with him and left it in the tomb, leaving you free to marry a resurrection life and bear offspring of faith for God. So you are dead to the law. If you are not dead to the law, you can't enjoy the righteousness of God. You can't enjoy the righteousness of God. Only dead men can enjoy it. It's his righteousness. It's the only one that is accepted. You can't try to be righteous. Romans 10, 1 to 4. Trying to be righteous. Israel, trying to please God their own way. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved. Verse 2. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God. But not according to knowledge. Hmm. For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted to the righteousness of God. So you can't enjoy and bask in God's righteousness if you are trying to establish your own. So you're not righteous by how well you behaved. Righteousness is not good behavior. Are you hearing me? Good behavior springs from righteousness. But righteousness is not good behavior. Such that you go, oh man, today I didn't vex I didn't curse anybody. I didn't swear. Today was a righteous day. I did all right. That's you seeking to establish your own righteousness. Even if you had a good day. Conversely, you had a bad start. And then by the time you get to church, you're like, ah, man. 
are not worthy. So I did this and this and this and that and the other. You then deflate the value of God's righteousness because of your bad performance. And you open up yourself for whatever the enemy can suggest to you. Does that make sense? So whether you had a good or bad day, whether you had a morally uplifting or morally derailing day, remember if you are saved and you believe that you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus and therefore you're walking in that consciousness. A day will come not long from now that you'll find all the things you struggle with are no more there. Because it is a consciousness. It's not a feeling. Are you listening to me? It's a consciousness. It's something you, you apply over time. How many of you ever wanted a six pack and then you just got up the next day and you had it? Mm-mm. The reason why these young men are crazy about their biceps and they wear short shirts and tight t-shirts to accentuate. You know, have, you not- have you noticed? Yeah. It's very- I find it cheesy that because you manage to have some things you now wear sets that's tight. You, everybody can tell it's not your size. Who, who knows what I'm talking about? It's not your size. You're wearing something like vests. Holding you so that we can manage to see that you have small biceps. But you know the guy is feeling like, do you know how much work went into this thing? Why? It isn't easy to develop the parks. So now that he's developed it, he has to flaunt it every time. Because it didn't easy. I am of a different school of thought. I saw a, 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 an artwork the other day of somebody who was trying to gym. And then he remembered that Jesus died to give us a new body. So he just lay down, cover blanket, and slept. <laughs> what's, what's the point? We have a glorified body, Victor. This body of mortality that will put off and put on immortality. Why should I come and kill myself? Let us eat and drink for tomorrow. <laughs> Paul said to Timothy, bodily exercise profited what? It's not much. It's not much. It doesn't profit much. Paul would have said. Imitate, no? Paul would have said. But he he didn't lie. He said he profited so the advantage that you with all the bodily exercise have over me is little. Bodily exercise profiting. Now the point I'm making as I close is that if your six pack didn't just happen, your righteousness consciousness will not just happen. Why do you think you are? Why, why, why are we so foolish? You're working your body so much and not working your spirit that much. How much do you spend doing makeup? Do you, you know how confusing it is for a man? Wash this part of your body with this. That part of your body with that. And then use this part of your body with this. And then when you finish, one cream, even baby oil, we have rubbed top to bottom. We are fine. You see, rub here. Then rub this one on the face. 
then rub this, scrub this one here, put this one on the back, and for what? What did Jesus die for? In the morning, I will wash here, wipe the face, remove this, and I wipe, wipe, wipe the face. Then, then there's the one for face for morning cream. Then there's the one for face for evening. It's something you have to work. So you, you see, ladies, you, man, what? Putting the makeup on, foundation, concealer, you know, and then all of that, and the color, the rosin, blah, 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 blah. Then you finish all of that, you have a good day. You come back. Now, to remove it. Because I would have thought as a lady, you would just wash your face. You sit down, cutting something. And you can be there for 45 minutes. I've never seen such vanity as a woman preparing to sleep. <laughs> to sleep. So for me, is to enter the bed like that and sleep. All this drama just to sleep. So, we're not just late to go out. We are late to sleep. We are at home. We are in the bedroom. But we are late to sleep. And yet, every day, religiously, even though you're not in religion anymore, you do your makeup routine. It is the same tenacity. The same aggression with which you must work your righteousness consciousness. It will not just happen. I didn't say your righteousness. I didn't say his righteousness. The consciousness. Some of you here finish makeup in the morning as you're preparing for Christ's experience. If I ask you to show me the process, you honestly can't remember. The makeup people. If I ask you what was the process, you have to actually sit down and then actually remember what came first, which brush, because it's so natural to you. Why? It's become a consciousness. It's the same way that if you drive, many times you have parked, put in park, pull handbrake, off light, wind windows, open car, lock car, enter house, drop key, and you don't remember doing it. You have to ask yourself, did I, did I lock? And then sometimes you act, either go back to check or send somebody. You say, check. And then you find that you actually locked the car. But it's become such routine that you don't have to think about it. Same thing going out. Especially if you have multiple locks on your door. And you're gone. And you have no recollection of having closed the door. Guys, that's the level of fluidity you must have in your consciousness of his righteousness. It's at that point that you cannot fumble and stumble anyhow. Because it becomes first nature. You are so conscious of whose you are that it influences everything you think, say, or do. Otherwise, this new creation reality will not benefit you anything on earth. Did you hear me? Yes, 
you are saved, your eternity is guaranteed, but you'll be useless on earth. You'll be a liability to the church. You'll be a problem to your pastor. You'll be a nuisance in your community. But you are, you are, you're saved. You're, you're, you're forgiven. You're justified. But you're not conscious of your righteousness. You're not conscious of it. But if you're conscious of it, it becomes your nature. You wake up, I am the righteousness of God. I can't talk like this. I can't act like this. I can't go like this. I can't do like this. Every day. You sleep up, you remind yourself, you're conscious. And someday you become so fully conscious that it's your only way of life. That's when it becomes a culture. That's when it becomes a culture. It's discipline. It's how I've trained myself. If you've ever gone out with me to an event, once I enter and sit down, I'm dead till the event is done. It's training. It's honor. Where the treasure of a man is, his heart also is. Guys, you have God's righteousness to spend at spending. Yours will never do. Has this instructed anybody? Yes. Develop righteousness, consciousness. Walk conscious of the fact that, man, look at how much God did to make me righteous. It begins to inform every thought, inform every action, everything. Some of you after today will apologize to your neighbors. Because what, what, it, what, what they're not seeing is your consciousness. Let it be a rain check. Let it be a wake-up call to you. Does that make sense? It's not what you preach to your neighbor or your classmates that really impacts them as much as what you do about what you preach. What you do about what you preach. Your conviction is established in your action, not in your words. Because you can do one thing and say another. If somebody wants to take you seriously, he'll pay attention to what you're doing. Not just what you are saying. What gets you to do in, al- in, in, in alignment with what you believe is your consciousness of righteousness. Has it helped anybody? Yes, is it a good time to give him praise? Well, that's it for today's teaching. We trust it has been worth your time. For more of these messages from our stables, kindly subscribe to our teaching podcast at www.thebasileacommission.podbean.com or via the Podbean app on your mobile device. For inquiries and further information, kindly send us an email to info at thebasileacommission.org or find us on social media with the handles at the Truth Simply Put or at War the Church. You can also send us an SMS, call us, or connect with us via WhatsApp on plus 234-70-881-8864. Finally, if you would like to give to support the work that we do, kindly follow the Patreon link in our podcast or contact our office for details. Thank you.